0: Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke today. I know you all thought I was going to say Genesis, but no. We're in the book of Luke today, Luke chapter 1, for our study. And I am looking forward to uh, that children's event along with soup and carols. Hopefully you'll be able to come. Uh, uh, Christmas cookies, I don't know what it is about Christmas cookies, but I love them. Uh, No no hints, but uh, you know, those iced ones, those are really good, the iced cookies. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. So, you know what to do. Those are the best. All right, we're in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5 today. Here we read, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. Which will be fulfilled in their time, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. and after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying... Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Just a reminder for those who are watching online, we invite you to have some bread and something to drink. Later we'll have communion together, and if you're at home watching, we'd love for you to partake with us later in the service. Well, she was raised in a godly home with godly parents. She even went to Christian college where she fell in love and eventually got married. Everything was going great for them, but for some reason they weren't able to have children. So after about 10 years together, they decided together to adopt three little ones. And God blessed them with a family. She was leading the children's ministry at their church, and he was on the praise team. Everything seemed great. However, things weren't quite right at home. Over time, he slowly began to drift. And unbeknownst to her, he had slowly become a drug addict and was wrestling with sexual addiction. He eventually left her for another woman and even had a child with his mistress, and now she was faced to raise these three kids on her own. What was she going to do? None of this was her fault. He was the drug addict. He was the adulterer. He was the one who left. What had she done to deserve all of this? Sometimes even the righteous suffer, even if you've come from a good background or do all the right things. As we'll see today, we always need to be ready to serve, ready to answer his call, supported in prayer and ready for him to move. We need to be faithful in prayer, knowing that he will indeed answer our prayer, knowing that he can turn our sorrow into joy, and knowing that God will ultimately use us for his purposes. We need to take God at his word, knowing full well that God is not a man that he should lie, and knowing that there are consequences for our unbelief, ultimately knowing that God will always keep his word. Today, in our Christmas series, we're talking about the Messiah and the forerunner. For the month of December, we will be studying the advent of Jesus, and we will also study the advent of his forerunner, John the Baptist. Today, we will see the promise of a prophet. Luke had been one of the traveling companions of the Apostle Paul during Paul's missionary journeys, And in the first few verses of Luke's Gospel, Luke lays out the purpose of his book. Listen to what it says Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things. You've been taught today as we begin this study in the book of Luke and understand the promise of a prophet, the promise of a king, we'll see four spiritual principles for us to grow in as we study God's word together. But Before we start, would you please pray with me? Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to just spend time in your word, to dig into it, to tear it apart, to understand it. Lord, we long to understand what these things mean and then to apply them to our lives. But Lord, we know that we can't do this in our own strength. We need your help. And so, Lord, we cry out to you, asking for your favor as we study your word. So, Lord, open these things to us by the power of your word, through your spirit. And, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today, knowing full well that there's no one here by accident today, but for your good pleasure to accomplish what you Are willing to accomplish. So, Lord, thank you for attending to us. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of four that we want to look at. Sometimes, as I mentioned, sometimes even the righteous suffer. Sometimes even the righteous suffer, even if you come from a good background which was the case here in verse five, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And by the way, the Herodians, those are not good guys. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they had both come from pretty good stock, priestly stock. Abijah, the priestly line under David, and the daughters of Aaron, priestly line under Moses, most likely Levites; they were of the priestly tribe. But understand, even if you have a good upbringing or godly parents, that doesn't somehow immunize you from difficulties. Just because you have the right pedigree, the right background, doesn't mean you might not go through hardship. But not only that; sometimes even the righteous suffer. Even if you do all the right things, notice what we learn about these two. Verse six goes on to say, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They were both righteous before God. They both walked blamelessly. They kept God's commandments and statutes, it says, and still went through great difficulty and grief, longing that maybe somehow a child might come to them. Sometimes we hold on to this sentiment that suggests that since I've been good, then everything should go well for me. Have you ever thought that? We rationalize to ourselves, well, I helped the little old lady across the street. Don't I deserve a good parking spot now? That's not how it works, is it? Job, another righteous man who ended up losing everything for God's glory, Or Joseph, who was sold down the river by his brothers. What horrible thing had he committed? Not much. Accused of rape, thrown in jail, all for just being his father's favorite son. And in the end, God used that for good to save his family during a great famine. But God is not some sort of mafia boss that we are trying to grease to get our way. If I do all these things, won't you bless me? We are living in a fallen and broken world, and sometimes God allows sovereign calamities to take place in your life, in my life, for his purposes. Were they childless because they had done something wrong? The answer is no. Sometimes even the righteous suffer, even if they come from a good background or have done nothing wrong. But secondly here this morning, we always need to be ready to serve it's at this moment in time that we hear these things in verse 8 that we understand that we need to be ready to answer his call. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, it says of Zechariah, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, we don't know exactly how the lots were drawn. You know, was it straws or the rolling of stones? We don't know. But I just want to ask you, what were the odds that the lot would fall on Zechariah that day? 100%, right? You see, when God's in the mix, there's not a chance. It's a great book by R.C. Sproul with that same title, not a chance. God is sovereign and purposeful. He's going to bring about in Zechariah's life exactly what he intends to do. And by the way, the Bible is full of people that God called at a moment's notice. Notice their response, like in Genesis twenty-two eleven. But the angel the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. What's Abraham say? Here I am. Genesis 46, 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, oh, come on. Can you work with me on this? Here I am. It's on the screen. It should be. Thank you, Silas. Exodus 3, 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. 1 Samuel three ten. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times. This is the third time. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. A little bit different. Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Other places in Scripture, Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon. In Acts 9, 4, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Are you being called? Are you hearing your name from him? Are you ready to answer his call? Simply saying, here I am. On that day, Zechariah was ready. He had waited all those years. Understand, for any priest to ever get this opportunity to go into the temple, it's kind of like one in several hundred thousand, and it came to him. His opportunity opened up, and he took it. Notice also, though, as he's answering this call, that there are those who are supporting him in prayer. Look at verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside is the hour, at the hour of incense. There's this idea that when we do ministry, we don't do ministry necessarily alone, we're not by ourselves. Years ago, I had an opportunity to go to India to preach the gospel. And one night, I got to preach to over 25,000 people at one time. I was there, I still can't believe it happened. I had this incredible uh, translator named Suresh. You can show the next slide. And there I am, dishing it out, preaching the word. That was, it was incredible. It was crazy. But I was told while I was preaching, after the fact, what was going on behind the scenes. Show the next slide. That's under the platform. I've circled it for, so you can see it. There's probably about 30 to 40 people Underneath the platform, praying for the gospel message. (laughs) Just as Zechariah was going in, there were those praying for him with his ministry. Just as I was preaching the gospel, where hundreds came forward that night—it's unbelievable. We ended up baptizing over 200 people in the Krishna River the following Saturday. It was amazing. But there was those who were underneath, undergirding the ministry. And I just want to say, by way of a little commercial here, I need your prayer. I need that kind of undergirdment, even now. I don't expect you to crawl underneath the platform. I get that. But we all need prayer. in what we're doing, what we're trying to accomplish on behalf of the gospel. But notice, he was supported in prayer. He was ready to answer his call. But thirdly here, he was ready for him to move. Or should I say, Zechariah really wasn't so ready, was he? We, on the other hand, need to be ready for him to move. Look at verse 11. And there, as he enters in, he appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. You know, I find it interesting how we are all longing for God to do something and then when he finally does show up, we're a little freaked out about it. Sometimes we're a little put off by it. In this case... When God finally appears through this angel to Zechariah, he is troubled by it and fearful. And I ask you, are you ready for God to move? Are you ready for God to move personally? Are we as a church ready for God to move in an amazing way? Are we ready? You see, to me, the church is like a great sailing ship. It's our job to make sure all the sails are up and that all the rigging is in place, ready for when God fills our sails as he moves us where he wants us to go. How are we doing? What do we need to do? What do we need to tidy up? What do we need to clean up so that we'll be effective with the ministry of the gospel? Are we ready for him to move? Zechariah wasn't quite ready. He shows up, he goes in, and all of a sudden, there's an angel and now he's troubled and he's fearful. But, beloved, we need to be faithful in prayer, thirdly, today. Notice what it says. We need to be faithful in prayer, knowing that he will indeed answer our prayer. Notice what the angel says in verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Prayer? What prayer? Did he just pray something just now? No. He and his wife have been praying for years. How many years? I don't know, but it's a long time. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Remember Abraham and Sarah. They prayed for years as well, longing for a child to come. And finally, at a (laughs) hundred, the child comes for Abraham. Abraham. They had waited for years. In Ephesians 3:20, Paul reminds us, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Do we have that kind of expectation in our prayers? Again, a lot of us, we kind of treat God as a vending machine. I put my quarter in and I should get my candy bar out. Of course, it's more like a dollar. Uh, it's not a quarter anymore, is it? But you understand what I'm saying. We, we rub the rabbit's foot, and where's God gonna move and do something for us? Turns out that's not how he works. Maybe it takes time. Maybe it takes a long time, knowing that he will indeed answer our prayer. And of course, sometimes God answers our prayers in ways that we weren't expecting. Sometimes it's a clear yes, Sometimes it's no, he's got something better for you. Sometimes, as in this case, it's wait. Well, how long? For as long as it takes. Maybe you've got something you're, you've been praying for for years. Will you keep trusting him? Will you keep waiting? Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Imagine how long Zechariah... Elizabeth had prayerfully waited for God to move. And I ask you, how long have you been waiting? Will you keep seeking after him? Will you keep crying out to him with whatever's on your heart? He will most certainly answer in his time. But secondly here, as we reflect on this motif, that we need to be faithful in prayer. Knowing that he can turn our sorrow into joy, God is the one who can ultimately make all the difference. Notice what it says in verse 14. As this angel goes on, he says, And you have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This child, this boy you're going to name John, is going to bring you joy and gladness. One day when all Israel will be gathered together by God, God said to the great prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Sometimes we're so sorrowful, we're so forlorn, we can't even imagine what it would be like being awesome or wonderful or joyful. But he can handle it. He's God. Jesus also promised that our sorrow would eventually be turned to joy as well. John 16, 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you'll not see me? And again, a little while and you'll see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. If we have Christ in the mix, there is joy in the morning. There's joy that we can hope for. Knowing that he has the capacity to turn our sorrow into joy. Knowing full well that he indeed answers our prayers. And thirdly here, knowing that God will ultimately use us for his purposes. God has not forgotten you. He longs to yet use you. And you go, how? For what purpose? When? Notice what the passage goes on to say in verse 15. In this case, what is God's purpose for Zechariah? God chose to use Zechariah and Elizabeth to bring about the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, as was foretold. Where was it foretold? Like in Isaiah 40, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When I hear those verses, I think of the the Messiah, which is a great musical by Handel. And I I wanna say it this way, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. That's John. That's about John proclaiming the way of Christ who's coming. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He's coming. That's what Advent is all about. He's coming. Malachi 4.5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's exactly what was just said by this angel. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. We see these specific attributes of this boy, this child, this John who becomes John the Baptist. He'll be great before the Lord. Yet at the same time he says, I'm not worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. He must not drink wine or strong drink, sobriety. He'll be right-minded at all times. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. (laughs) Talk about right to life. Filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb? That's incredible. He will turn people to Christ. He'll be like Elijah. He'll change hearts. He will give wisdom to the disobedient. I could use some wisdom. He will prepare God's people for the coming Christ, for the coming Messiah. Was this, by the way, anything Zechariah was even remotely expecting at all? Not in the least. You mean God may choose you to do something that's way beyond what you can think or imagine? Yeah, that's what the verse said. Lastly, this morning, we need to just simply take God at his word. Oh, that we would. First of all, here, knowing that God is not a man that he should lie. At which point in verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, Well, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. When he's asking, How shall I know this? it's not an issue, it's not a cognitive thing he's saying here. How shall I experience this? How is, this, how is this even remotely possible? Well, I'm super old. My wife's well, she's not a spring chicken. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. oh, dear. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news, pal. I added that part. Here what we see, Zechariah questions this angel. How shall I experience this? How will I know this? My wife and I are old and decrepit. Notice who he's speaking to. Not just any angel, but the angel Gabriel. Who we are told stands in the presence of God. who was sent specifically by God with a special message for Zechariah from God. Note to self, don't mess with Gabriel, just saying. But we're told in scriptures all over the place, like Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Beloved, we know that God is not a man that he should lie. We need to take him at his word. But not only that, secondly, knowing that there are consequences for our unbelief. What are the consequences for Zechariah? And behold, you will be silent and unable, unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. It's gonna happen. You need to deal with it. But now you get to be quiet for a while. Of course, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wandering at his wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. In this case, the consequences for Zechariah's disbelief was his inability to speak for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy, possibly at least nine months. That's a long time to be quiet. For some of us, we'd have a hard time with that. The problem is, if you don't believe God, then you will place your trust in someone else or something else, or worst of all, you'll put your trust and faith in yourself. The consequences of unbelief is ultimately death and destruction. The bottom line here is that we need to believe God all over the place in Scripture. That's what we hear, believe him. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, he says, when Jesus was confronting Thomas, Mr. Doubter guy, remember that guy? He says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The writer of Hebrews adds this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Are you hearing that? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And I just want to ask, Have you been pleasing to him today? Wherein have I exercised faith? Only you know that in your own heart. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Beloved, there are consequences to unbelief. But lastly, knowing full well that we should take God at his word, We know full well that God will always keep his word. Why? Because what happens? Verse 24, after these days, even in their old age, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Sure enough, just as God had promised Elizabeth through Gabriel, finally she's found with child, your little bundle of joy will be the promised forerunner of Christ. Scripture says of God's word, the, gra- the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How long is that? That's a long time. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, God says, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You mean I might have to wait? Yes, for his good pleasure, for what he's going to accomplish. So you ask, well, what happened to your friend? She hadn't deserved all that she was receiving through a rebellious, rebellious husband. Well, as time went on, this man, again, Scripture says it, this man literally destroyed himself through drug abuse. This guy who is a few years younger than me, he's dead. He's dead now. He's buried. I was at the funeral. He's not here. He's left the building. And by God's grace, the Lord brought a kinsman redeemer, if you will, into her life. And she's now married and walking with Christ. The thing that's beautiful about her story is that she continued to trust God and wait on him no matter what was going on. She always walked above reproach. She trusted God and waited on him for his good pleasure to bring about something that she never imagined. And now she has peace, God's grace. And she and her step. And so she and her new husband are now he's a stepfather to the children, which is awesome. See, God can change everything. Could have he restored the marriage, he could have. I've seen that happen too. But this went in a different direction for his purposes, for his power. Sometimes even the righteous suffer. Even if you come from a good background or do all the right things, but we always need to be ready to serve, ready to answer his call, supported in prayer, ready for him to move. We need to be faithful in prayer, knowing that he will indeed answer our prayer, knowing that he can turn our sorrow into joy, and knowing that God will ultimately use us for his purposes. We need to take God at his word, knowing that God is not a man that he should lie, and knowing that there are consequences for unbelief ultimately knowing full well that God will always, 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 always keep his word. Why? Because it's from him. As we turn to the Lord's table today, and I was thinking about these things and how I might share in leading us to the table, I came across Psalm 100. And uh, Psalm 100 is a whopping five verses. Notice what it says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I know just a week or so ago we celebrated Thanksgiving, did we not? And we we're reminded of all of his goodness to us. And it seemed to me as we come to the table and reflect on Jesus's death and resurrection on our behalf, how thankful we ought to be for who he is and what he's done for us. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate with us as we examine the two elements of the bread and the cup, the bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for us on the cross, and the cup, which represents his shed blood in full payment for all of our sin once and for all. If you have children with you, make sure they have an understanding of the gospel before they participate. If they've never put their faith and trust in Christ, I just encourage you to let the elements pass till such time as they and participate with meaning and understanding with what they're doing. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. Paul writes, "...whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself." In this warning, there are two potential concerns, the first being partaking in an unworthy manner. Perhaps you've professed Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you are holding in contempt with how you're living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, If you're not willing to repent, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you have made things right with God in your heart. But even better this morning would be for you to make things right with God right now through confession, repentance, and commitment. And then we invite you to freely join us. The other possibility is that you're an unbeliever. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. If this is the case, I encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you as well. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in. We don't want you to participate in something hypocritical. But again, even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going in your life. Turn to faith in Christ for your salvation right here, right now, in this moment. Receive him as Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart. In life right now, don't wait another moment. And then we invite you to freely join us in this remembrance. As the elements of the bread and cup are passed, please note that both elements are contained in two cups that are stacked together. So make sure you get two cups that are stacked. So please make sure you're all set there. And as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements As you are served, we will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cups separately. So this time I'd like to invite the elders and the deacons to come forward to serve. So come on up. And as they come, please take this time of preparation to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance. Come on up and start serving. Come on, go for it. Examining your heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance renewing your commitment to him and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. Would you please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. As Paul has written to the church in Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you: that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body." which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Tom Ellier to pray for the bread which was broken for us.
1: Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this another Christmas season when we're reminded that in the fullness of the time, in your perfect time, you sent your Son to this world as a baby, the Son of God, born to ultimately die for us, that we might live, that we might have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins by simply trusting in him and his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, which was such a great, great sacrifice and a great um, showing of ultimate love for us. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in your mercy and your, your grace. Lord, that you have... Made it possible for us to be forgiven. So bless us as we uh, contemplate the, the meaning of, of this, uh, the bread that is before us, the body of Christ that was uh, given and sacrificed for us, and that He is now our living Savior. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.
0: Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Deacon Kent Allman to pray for the cup which was poured out for us.
1: Dear Lord, we continue in prayer now in thanksgiving and praise for your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived on the earth, and was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. As we consider the, uh, the cup before us, which represents his blood that was shed on the cross, a once and for all sacrifice for, for all our sins, and we pray that we'll keep this in mind and remember the great sacrifice he made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you please stand for our closing benediction? Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had a reflection about who you are and what you've done for us through the cross. And Lord, we thank you for the encouragement we've had from your word, knowing that sometimes we'll go through difficult things, but yet you are sovereign and you know exactly what you're accomplishing for your purposes, Lord, may we be ready to answer the call. May we be a people that is expectant with what you can do and what you can accomplish, knowing full well that you will keep your word. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that we've based our life on. Thank you that you are not a man that you should lie, but you are God Almighty. And what you say will most certainly come to pass. So now, Lord, bless us as we go from this place, walking in these truths with encouragement, with joy, trusting you. Help us to be light in a dark world. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for coming today. Have a great week.